And welcome to this week's episode of The Boundless Show. Lisa Anderson here with you and a little preview of what we have coming up after our roundtable. Later on for our inbox, we have a woman who just moved from one continent to another and feels like her chances of finding a spouse are pretty slim. But I'm going to weigh in with some thoughts and hopefully some encouragement for her on making the most of her new home. And then for our culture segment, Pastor Joe Rigney is going to share part of his story of winning the war against lust, Uh, also a powerful story of overcoming addiction to pornography, and specifically just kind of where we are in our culture related to this. He is a pastor. Uh, He's done a lot of work in this area in a number of different spheres, and so uh, stay tuned for that. But here we are for our roundtable, and we thought we would kind of take it real, practical, and personal uh, in the studio today to talk about porn and porn addiction. And uh, I am very privileged uh, to welcome Dave Samuel, Nate Havens, and Emily Clark. Hey, guys. Hey. Hey, Hello. Wonderful to have you. It is going well. And so we were talking before we started taping just about how, you know, gosh, Boundless has been around 12 years now, the show. And we've talked about porn. We know kind of where porn is in the lives of our listeners and our readers for Boundless. And we get emails from folks that are just like, yeah, I feel like this is a struggle for me. Maybe my church isn't really talking about it. Is there anyone out there talking about it? Do I just need to like read a book? Do I just need to try harder? And so um, I know, I mean, many, you know, many surveys and stats exist around this. I know just a a couple years ago, Barna did one among self-described Christians that even pulled a number that as many as 64% of Christian men say that they have viewed porn uh, in the last month and do so quite regularly. Uh, The number for women was around 15%. And of course, sometimes you parse out like, okay, well, what do they mean by Christian? But, you know, Barna tends to do a pretty good job in in, uh, figuring that stuff out. But I think it it kind of begs the question or the, the conversation beyond that of like, okay, so, you know, the struggle kind of what, you know, is, are there those who aren't willing to admit it? And certainly, you know, there aren't many like church Sunday school classes or small groups where it's like, the thing I want to lead with today is my struggle with porn. You know, it's not in your church bulletin. It's not like, let's, you know, pray for these 12 people because they admitted, you know, struggling with porn this week. Um, And I think there's this weird idea that it's quote unquote worse than other sins which is kind of funny because not long ago we actually did a, a short series here on the show of, of the respectable sins, the ones that we say aren't worse. We say they're better than other ones. Now we're talking about the ones people think are worse. So it's like porn, you know, uh, living out of an identity of homosexuality. You know, it's kind of this different echelon. But um, I, I really want to give you guys the chance to share your story today Um Dave and Nate, both of you, and then Emily, um, you know, a woman's perspective on this. You're actually part of the plugged in team at Focus on the Family, uh, wrestling with this every day with where our culture is going with this, what we're exposed to, how it's portrayed as, you know, it's not that bad. It's not a big deal. It's something we do, whatever. Um, And and just the conversations among young adults in this. And so... um, why don't we start? Let me just ask a very obvious question just to set the stage here, because we never know, like, who's a new listener, who's not. I mean, this is is kind of a dumb question in a sense, but it's just like maybe we need to start with it. And that is, why do you guys think I mean, it, I feel like it used to be when we talked to our parents and our grandparents, it was like, oh, someone snuck in a magazine, you know, and I saw it or someone brought something on the playground. But now pornography is so prevalent. What do you think when you think of that first like ensnaring moment, the way that, you know, there are people who are like, oh, I'd never get caught up in porn or, well, you know, I do, but I can handle it or whatever. What is the deal with pornography? Where is it and why is it that it is literally tripping up millions of men and women today? Well, this is Nate. Um, I guess my perspective it's probably because it allows you to be you without any conditions. So you can be fully yourself and feel like you're fully connected with an- another person. 
even though that's still artificial, but you still, you feel like you don't have to pretend or with other people you have to, there's consequences for the things that you do, but not with porn, not when you're interacting with it. I would also add to that, that, um, because it's so prevalent exposure is becoming younger and younger to, uh, to kids. And I know for myself, being exposed at, at five, I, I was not mentally prepared to understand what I was seeing. There was just no way. Mm-hmm. And all that did was feed curiosity, which, um, you know, then escalated throughout, throughout life. But um, I, I think that's an issue, too, is mm-hmm. that kids just don't have the capacity to understand what they're seeing. I think it also has to do with the ease of access nowadays, um, you know, whereas before, like you said, it was like magazines or something like that, Lisa. Nowadays, you know, it's on your phone, it's on your tablet, it's on your computer, it's wherever you look nowadays. And, you know, even just, it doesn't even necessarily have to be pornography. If you're watching a movie or a TV show, you know, there's there are movies and shows out there that are just so graphic that they might as well be pornography. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. And I think that, you know, you go over to a friend's house, you watch a movie, and you see something on screen. And like uh, Dave just said, you know, it it makes you curious, and then you start looking for more things like that. Yeah. I want to talk about the both the sneakiness and the seriousness of this, because I've heard, you know, you hear like meth addicts talk about like, I did meth once and I was addicted. I have heard people talk about porn in the same way. And for those who haven't, you know, that's not been their struggle or, you know, I hear this from a lot of women who are like, why are men so addicted to porn? All that. It's, they don't understand the insidious nature of it. And so I'd like to kind of cut over both you, Nate, and Dave, literally, this is part of your stories. I would love to just give you the opportunity. Can you just, you know, in the few minutes we have, talk through your entire life and your experience? With this? No, but just as best as you can, give us an idea of where you guys are coming from, because this, you know, this is part of, of why you're here today. And I think it's so helpful to feel like, oh, been there, you know, me too kind of thing. Um, give us a little overview so we understand. Well, I'll go ahead and start this, Dave. But uh, yeah, for me, it was early exposure. Um, and of course, at that time, as Emily said, it was it was sneaky. It was all it was all magazines. There was nothing online. The Internet wasn't around at that point. So it was more difficult to find outlets for that. I think for me, though, the big thing was uh, a small kid um, Definitely uh, skinny, picked on at school, low self-esteem because of that. So that became my medication of choice when I had the opportunity to to find those things. And at that point, it was either a discarded magazine in the woods or, um, you know, maybe sneaking a peek at a, a magazine rack in a store. But it was definitely not something that it was, you know, secretive. It, you had to be out in the open. Mm-hmm. And uh, because of that, it was fairly controlled throughout my teen years and and young adult years uh, until the advent of the Internet when things became so prevalent and so easy to access. And as Nate said, you know, I I could be myself and be secluded in in a room and and have access to it without um, the consequences. But, I mean, there were obviously consequences to Mm -hmm. that. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah, and then this is Nate. I think for me, kind of similar is what Dave was talking about. Um, I remember the first exposure that I had was through cable, being over at um, someone's house and when everyone went to bed. And in that time, even though you didn't subscribe to like the Playboy spot on the cable, you could still see it. It was just kind of like fuzzy, right? But you could. it wasn't blurred enough where you couldn't tell what was going right. on. And I just remember coming across that I wasn't looking for but coming across it and immediately just being like mesmerized but immediately within myself feeling like I shouldn't be watching this even though I couldn't even really put words to it and just kind of it just drew me in at that moment 
And then I just felt myself like hiding in secrecy and trying to sneak back to even get glimpses of that and just the immediate lure that it had. Mm -hmm. And even though, thankfully, in our family, we didn't have that. So it's not like I had access to it a lot, but I really didn't need it. I I already had the glimpses of images in my mind that I could bring back at any time. And I know for me, one of my roles in the family growing up that I that I took on was the responsible one, always having to do the responsible thing, the right thing. But here I could be myself. I could think whatever I wanted to think. I wasn't judged by it um, and the illusion of the fantasy of the pornography experience. And I was able just to relax, even though I wasn't really relaxed because so much was going on inside of me, so much fear and anxiety. And and it felt like acceptance at the time, so a lot of mixed emotions. So um, so throughout my life growing up, just different exposures, whether it was a magazine periodically. And then, yes, once the Internet came about, oh, my word, that AOL and each line slowly coming at a time in anticipation and waiting and waiting. Hmm. And and so it was very just enticing and also damaging at the same time. Yeah. Well, and I know, you know, Nate, your your story and you alluded to it is, you know, you grew up in a Christian home. Um, you even, you know, you were working as a youth pastor. And mm-hmm. I, I like, you know, you talked about at, at the beginning, you said, you know, you could kind of be exactly who you wanted to be, no strings attached. But it's kind of like, I, I don't know many guys that are like, you know, I really want to be just who I want to be with no strings attached. So I wonder how to do that. Maybe I'll try porn. Like no one goes in with this whole self-awareness of like, what is this going to do for me? It just kind of becomes this entrapment. And I'm guessing that both of you guys at some point immediately went into, okay, I need a sin management system. I need to fix this. I need to pull away. I need Mm -hmm. to stop. I need to do. So continue. Maybe Dave, why don't you start? Continue your story with kind of where this led. Yeah, it... uh... It led to just what you were saying of, you know, I also grew up in a Christian family, uh, didn't have any of that access growing up. And and so it was one of these things of the dichotomy of, I know I'm a believer, I know I shouldn't be looking at this, but yet it's meeting a a need for me because of the low self-esteem to, to have that medication, that, that dopamine fix. Mm-hmm. And and so there was that back and forth of you know okay I'm 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 not going to do this anymore and what I call the shame cycle of mm-hmm. you know everything's going great and then you fall into sin and then you get then you feel horrible about it and you say I'm never going to do that again and then you're back up on top and things are going well for a month or so and then you're right back into that cycle and uh, that was the thing where each time it was like I am going to take care of this I don't need help I can do this myself which is a lie. You do need the help of others to to be able to work through the the situation. But uh, it was it was tough. Yeah. And during this time, like at what point in this journey did you you got married? I mean, you probably went through the whole like, well, marriage will probably fix this because you know. I mean, what did that look like for you? Well, I was definitely married before. Um, things really became a problem with the mm. internet. So mm-hmm. uh, I think we'd been married probably 20 years by that point. Mm. Um, and so uh, that was a that was a real difficulty too of, of knowing what I was doing and how that was affecting my family or how it could affect my family if it came out. And of course I had kids in the house and, as well. And everything kind of broke open um, when my children were older. And then it was repair the damaged relationship with my wife and and talking to my kids and becoming and coming clean about that and then doing the 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 repair work of what needs to be done to one repair me uh, and and all the issues what you know what was causing this but also in the relationships that uh, were in the family yeah so uh, um Maybe, Nate, kind of continue then where you went, because I alluded to you being a youth pastor, again, you know, porn, lustful thoughts. I mean, you were clearly having to kind of keep things concealed, too. Yeah, definitely the first place I went to is within myself. (laughs) 
because again, I was the responsible one. So if I talked about it with other people, that was now breaking that framework that I had in my own mind. And I mean, I was the one where I would hear parents say, man, I hope you marry my daughter. I mean, I heard that so much growing up. And in my mind, I'm like, if only you knew what was going on behind the closed doors. Because another unique part of my story, too, is I also have same-sex attraction. And so that added another layer of, like, the isolation of feeling like I could not share. Because not only porn, but in my mind, even if it if it was knowing that I'm attracted to men and stuff like that, that it would just produce more isolation and rejection Mm -hmm. from people. And so definitely a lot of isolation. I mean, I I would go through things of even some some self-harming of like having a rubber band that I would just slap myself every time I was tempted, right? Even having some bruises because of that. Um, So I just tried so many different methods and I would just pray and God, please take this away and I will never do this again. And I don't know how many times I said that and just the insanity. And then I would maybe go through periods of of nothing. So at this point, this is when I was single and had access, right? And, And so going through periods of not having anything, then just having something that triggered it and just going through a binge of just one after one after one. And I may even just be kind of disgusted with it and say, I will never go again. And then five minutes later, find myself pulling things back up in Mm -hmm. the same. So just that insanity. So it was all internal. And then finally, I I reached out for counseling um, because I just knew that this was I was not going to be able to go through this on my own. And that really just kind of helped start that process of breaking that shame of reaching out and talking to someone else about it. Yeah. Um, Emily, speak a little bit like from the perspective of a woman. I mean, I think you and I are kind of thinking through like, I I mean, I remember being in settings in church and whatever, where I feel like, you know, even here at Boundless, it's it's very easy, I feel, for men and, and then women who struggle with porn to say, oh, yeah, it's a problem, or I've, I've seen some porn, or, you know, kind of blanket kind of stuff. Like, we know it's a problem in our culture. We know it's a problem in the church. But then clearly, like these guys are saying, when it comes to talking about your own story or saying, you know, this is, you know, everyone wants to say, well, they can stop it or they've gotten victory over it or whatever. But what would you say, what are some of the perceptions you've heard out there from women Emily, as you've seen that, you know, both in your own friend circles and in the culture at large? Well, it's kind of just like you said. I mean, I feel like, um, you know, most women who talk about this, they'll say, yeah, it's such a problem. And they're, you know, a lot of them are disgusted by it. A lot of them um, are, think it's normal um, for guys to do it. Um, Some of them even engage in it themselves. So I think that one of the things I've noticed is that, um, you know, when when I think about just people in general who struggle with this, it's usually it, it, there's two things that play into this. One is um, like the guys mentioned before um, with the shame cycle, like you're it, it's almost like you have to hide this sin because it's so shameful. But then also when you're engaging in it, it's almost like you're not ashamed because um, because yeah. it's private, because you're not out in the open um, like back in the day. But then another thing that I've thought about is um, is the fact that it's usually triggered by something. It's not like you just, you know, you're just like, oh, I'm going to do this because of what I, I mean, maybe it is depending on who you are. Like, like I'm just going to do this for whatever. No, I think most people who have an addiction any kind of addiction, but especially an addiction to pornography, it's triggered by, you know, low self-esteem or depression or anxiety or any number of things. It's never. So I think that when we're dealing with this issue, you know, in the culture and in the church, the reason people don't want to peg it as an addiction is because one, it is shameful, but two, because then they have to address the fact that, oh, it's not just that I'm engaging in this. It's that I'm suffering from depression or something else. And they have to. So it's not even just admitting that the sin, it's admitting that there might be something deeper going on within themselves. And um, so, yeah, like uh, coming at this as a woman, um, if anything, it's almost harder because um, I think men and women both suffer from low self-esteem just because of the way our culture is, the way that we um glorify celebrities and beautiful people and such but so when a woman finds out that you know 
the guy she's dating or her husband or whatever is um, addicted to pornography, it can be very damaging. And it, that's where, like, I think that disgust comes from, where whether it be with disgust with the act itself or even disgust with ourselves, because now we're wondering, am I just not good enough for you or what's going on? And so you really do have to understand that. Usually it's not just the addiction, it's the thing behind the addiction. Yeah, that's good. And it it just reminds me too, because again, talking about women and pornography, we see this, I mean, yeah, okay, women maybe experience this differently or their struggles in a different place, but we know by the the prevalence and the popularity of things like Fifty Shades and other things that Mm -hmm. are out there that women have their own escapes and women justify their own behaviors in many ways and women will both for good and for bad with men they like to you know you alluded to this Emily we um we say either something super dismissive like well that's just guys so they're just gonna have to be that way yeah it's just normal or you know if if it's a married guy well if he had a fight with his wife and she's withholding sex well what's he gonna do you know kind of that thing or we go into the whole like no guys are so weak they're just animals they're just you know you're visually never driven you can never trust them you know because they're going to do so yeah it's it's really tough and especially you know because in the church we so want to say here's the line or here's all the let's just define all this and make Mm -hmm. it into this thing and it's just you just can't do that so okay well we are out of time for today but i want to circle back uh next week folks um if these folks are willing we want to continue this conversation because well first of all we need the end of these stories we need to move forward and (laughs) into some hope um and also just a, a few ideas around the church and around community and what this looks like in real relationship um because again, uh, thankfully we have Christ and we're, we're going to move uh, into a conversation around that. So uh, you guys, thanks so much. Will you join me next week to continue the conversation? Absolutely. Absolutely. All right. Folks, we're here for this week's culture segment, and, uh, you know, we are talking, as we often do, you know, we like to keep it real here at The Boundless Show with stuff that is affecting uh, you as a young adult, uh, whether you are in college, whether you're in your 20s or your 30s, um, you know, just wherever you are in life, you might be a young professional. And one of the things we talk about here is sexuality, and in this case, sexual sin and pornography in particular. And so I am very pleased to welcome to The Boundless Show. So uh, Joe Rigney, he is, among other things, he's a pastor. He's obviously an author, a speaker, a professor. Um, He is soon to be the president of Bethlehem College up in Minnesota and seminary there. And so, Joe, welcome to The Boundless Show. Thanks for having me. Awesome. Okay, well, you are, in addition to this, I mentioned you being an author, you're author of More Than a Battle, How to Experience Victory, Freedom, and Healing from Lust. And uh, we were talking ahead of time before taping of how our counseling team here at Boundless and Focus on the Family vetted this book, as they always do. You know, we have to make sure we're talking to legit people. And how much they really loved it um, as experts on this subject and someone who, from your perspective, is, is really sharing uh, your own story in this, as well as very practical and very, you know, dare I say, like, weirdly, like, theological approaches to this, which I think is going to be very helpful, because with the Spirit's power, uh, we can actually accomplish some stuff in our lives. And so... 
I want to jump right in because I want you to have the opportunity to start out by telling uh, some of your own story um, with your past pornography struggle and even addiction. I think 10 years um, of your life in this, you open the book kind of sharing your own story. So um, talk to us a little bit about that, the history of it, what that looked like. And then I know specifically for you, getting engaged was a big wake up call for you. And so kind of take us Mm -hmm. up to that point. Yeah, well, I think like uh, like many kids who grew up, you know, in the uh, in the nineties, um, kind of on the cusp of the internet. Um, but my exposure happened the way I think it is for a lot of young young men, which was somebody brought a magazine to school and after school showed it to everybody, and that kind of um, in that in that uh, junior high to high school uh, range was kind of the first introduction. Nowadays, I think it happens a little bit differently with phones and so forth, but but the principle is still the same. And uh, and that kind of just set me on a path of kind of sinking further and further. It was a very a very shameful thing. I think I felt it to be so. I was a, I was a professing Christian and and uh, and knew that this was wrong and and um, and yet felt like uh, there was a, a certain pull and I didn't know how to what to do about it. And I remember you know we would have accountability groups when I was in high school and even into college. Um, and yet they were very frustrating because everybody in the group at least was um, about the same age and and failing in the same way. And so we could confess into one another, which was good, but we none of us knew what to do to move forward. And so it was a very frustrating thing. Uh, it was a very, um, uh, in a lot of ways, a, a really dark and, and frustrating time because of the sin, because of the amount of time and, and the guilt that kind of weighed on it. Um, and then, as you said, um, hitting engagement was kind of a wake-up call at some level of, you know, there's, a, there's another person involved now. This isn't just about me, but this is about another person that I, that I care deeply about. And it was sort of in that window of time that a number of sort of streams came together in my own life by the grace of God, um, and it was a kind of a decisive turning point. Um, and and those included um, some really um, great teaching, some some practical teaching that I had come across in college, uh, as well as wise mentors, uh, the added incentive of an impending marriage. All of those things sort of came together, and there was a great work done deep in the heart that, that I would describe as, as a significant turning point. And you know, I would I would say, of course, sexual temptation is still a thing. It didn't that didn't go away, but there was a, a renewed work of grace in my life that meant I, I know how to face this now. And then over the last fifteen plus years of of marriage, and in, as a pastor, as a professor, mentoring college students, um, I've seen the way that those different streams came together and have tried to um, pass those on to others to help others break free of the same struggle that had me for for all those years. Yeah. Well, and I want to back up here because I I don't think there's any guy out there, you know, specifically a Christian guy who's going to say, you know, the one thing I need to do in my life is get into porn. Um, You know, no guy is going to say that. But I would also assume that most guys don't think that if they view porn once, like they wouldn't say like, oh, my goodness, you know. Joe, you you looking at that one magazine is going to set you down a course of addiction. They always think like, oh, I'm just going to dabble in it or it's just like one time or it's just something. I'm just going to click whatever. But it seems like every guy I talk to really talks about the sneaky, insidious nature of pornography that like really for one, you know, for a lot of guys, one exposure or a couple small exposures really can can set off like in your case, you know, 10 years of kind of going down this this rabbit hole. Talk to us about that process. What help us get in inside of of what that looks like, because I would imagine the continuing spiral of shame in that is, you know, there's an aggregate of that. What what did that feel like for you? Yeah, so I'd say you know for, for you know kids coming into their into into puberty, bodies changing, hormones raging, all of that sort of stuff. Um, there's just a natural curiosity, and and that curiosity has led in all kinds of bad places for all of human history. Um, what's new today is the accessibility, the anonymity um, of pornography. Everybody's got a brothel in their pocket. Everybody can have access to it whenever they want through the internet, and that creates a really potent mix because. Our sexuality, as God designed it, our, our drives um, are are meant to lead us so uh, towards marriage, and then towards the forming of families, and then from the forming of families to the good of societies and and the um, the good of, of the world. And so, um, they're very powerful drives that God has given us, which means when they get hijacked, they can go really, really, really bad. And so, in my case. Um, and I think in many guys' case, that's precisely what happens is there's, there's a, a natural, good, God-given desire and drive um, oriented towards sexuality. And 
Um, and then what pornography does is it hijacks that and it takes it inward. So rather than it being the sort of drive that takes us out um, and leads us to pursue uh, a, a woman to be married, to leave and cleave, establish a household, and raise children. Um, that's what God intends that, that drive for, and instead it sends us inward. Um, C.S. Lewis has a great line about it sends us inward into an imaginary harem where you just you keep an imaginary harem of, of brides, and now we, we keep them on our computers or on our cell phones. And, and the thing about it is it's, it's uh, C.S. Lewis says, it's a form of self-worship because in the fantasies um, you don't have to do any of the self-sacrifice or any of the, the holiness that you would have to do if you really wanted to pursue a real woman. You don't have to do that. You, you're always adored. You're always um, a strong, a powerful man. Whatever, whatever it is, you're there, and it's all imaginary. And so the pornography actually becomes a means through by which a man in, adores himself. Mm-hmm. And I think that's part of the real insidiousness of it is it takes something that God gave us to send us out into relationship and into marriage and into family, and it turns it inward on the self. And, and it's a very potent and powerful force um, in that way. Yeah. Well, and just like any other sin, you know, sin at its core is is idolatry. Uh, it is meeting a need. And, and I think that's kind of where, you know, like to your point there is like somehow this sin is meeting a need. It is meeting a felt need. It is showing up when you need it to show up. And it's doing it obviously in a wrongful way. But I think that's helpful to acknowledge that, yeah, there's a reason. It's not like you're just choosing to say like, hey, you know, um, this is a a way that I I want to sin. I want, you know, I mean, obviously there's the want to there. But but I, I like, you know, pinpointing the idolatry aspect of that and the fact that, you know, this is legit. The the pull is real. Um, the the false sense of security in that is real. And that's a good thing to remember. Um, to that point, you actually then go on uh, in the book to talk about breaking clearly the cycle of sexual sin. And you say that to do so off the bat, we have to acknowledge the spirit's power and walk by the spirit. And I think you have a great application here of Galatians five sixteen and 17. And I want you to tell about how um, your friend in seminary really challenged you kind of to flip that in applying it, which I think really puts a good perspective on it. Yeah, so, you know, Galatians 5, 16, 16 17, walk by the Spirit, and you will certainly not gratify the desire of the flesh. Um, for the desires of the flesh are against the Spirit, Spirit against the flesh, so that you don't do what you want. And I had always read that as sort of this promise, walk by the Spirit, and you won't gratify the desires of the flesh, and then this sort of realistic walk back. But you'll still kind of struggle because there's this war that's going to happen, and you're just going to be frustrated with, you know, fleshly desires and spiritual desires at war. And what my, my colleague in, in seminary pointed out was it's actually going the other direction. So it's you wake up as a Christian every day in the middle of a war. You have spiritual desires given to you by God, and you have fleshly desires, and those are at war with each other. And therefore, the call upon us is actually now choose sides, walk by the Spirit, and then those fleshly desires, which are still there, there's they're still temptations, there's still realities, but you don't have to gratify, to indulge, to complete them. And, and so with that, the onus that put on us is, well, what in the world does it mean to walk by the Spirit? Because if the promise is walk by the Spirit and you will absolutely certainly not gratify those desires, then I think one of the central questions in all of life is how do I walk by the Spirit? And part of what I'm trying to do in the book is put some teeth to that of what does it look like to be grounded in the gospel, to, to know that God is for me, to know that Jesus uh, is my Savior and my Lord, and then to live out of that in a very practical, on-the-ground, wise, strategic way as I seek to kill this sin and, in principle, any sin. Yeah. Well, there is um, another thing that I thought was so helpful that you talk about in the book is is the fact that, you know, we talk specifically about pornography, but there are all kinds of types of sexual brokenness. And I think in our culture today and with this generation, it is just, I mean, there's so much. We're feeling the effects of everything from, you know, the sexual revolution with our parents and beyond to kind of where we are now um, in a new interpretation of uh, what it means to be uh, LGBTQ and all of that. So. Um, you actually talk about, and I, I think you uh, referenced uh, something that uh, Jay Stringer says about sexual brokenness stemming from two things um, that we can actually kind of point to. And I think it's helpful to kind of to see that. So talk, let's talk about that for a minute. Yeah. So um, one of the things I'm doing in the book is trying to pull together different and a kind of eclectic 
uh, streams that have influenced me. And so you can look at sexual sin and the fight against pornography as, as a fight, as it's a sin that needs to be killed. And then you can look at it as sort of an addiction that needs to be uh, broken free. You need to break free from an addiction. There's a bodily, chemical, hormonal piece. And then there's this sort of sexual sin of brokenness. And Jay Stringer um, he wrote a book called Unwanted, which I read in the middle of writing this book and just found it very, very helpful at sort of giving language for this sort of thing. And and Stringer's counsel is that basically our sexual brokenness is often revelatory. It's it's expressing deeper-rooted issues in our lives, maybe that go back to our, our formative childhood experiences um, that might have to do with our present relational context and that you really can't get a handle on your sexual brokenness if you're not going to address those deeper and, and uh, more subtle and sometimes more profound brokenness, whether that's abuse, whether that's trauma, whether that's just um, broken relationships with parents or with siblings or, or things like that, that all of those things are feeding into the form that our sexual sin is taking and that there really is not going to be – you can't isolate these things. You can't just say, well, I'm only going to deal with my – sexual sin problem, um, because all of those other things are feeding into it. And that's true of other sins like pride or, or anger or um, envy, discontentment. All of those things can kind of be under the surface of, of our struggle with sexual sin. A guy feels like, I, want, I really want to be married. You know, I'm not married. I want to be married. Um, God hasn't provided me for a, a wife, and therefore he, he lashes out through looking at pornography. And it's actually a way of kind of getting back at God and his anger. So does he have a porn problem or does he actually have a, a, a discontentment and an anger problem at mm -hmm. God? And if you don't deal with both, you're not going to ever really get a handle on on the actual issue in play. And the same thing's true in our brokenness. If someone has had, um, you know, broken relationships as a child, that can form and shape us in really um, destructive ways. And you can get into cycles of shame and brokenness involving sexual sin. And, and it's necessary to, to bring healing, the gospel, to, to be brought to bear on that deeper issue and then all of a sudden now the sexual brokenness can be dealt with on its own terms without constantly having this other um, fuel being poured on the fire. Yeah. I'm so glad you mentioned that because I was actually going to bring that up, that idea of like, my goodness, there are so many sins that can be sourced out of this. You know, we just did recently here at Boundless um, a series on, you know, a la Jerry Bridges, respectable sins and kind of mm. those ones that we want to excuse or say that they're just our personality or whatever. And I'm like, my goodness, yeah, apply discontentment to that. A apply uh, overeating to that apply. There's mm -hmm. going to be a lot of things that we can look into there. Um, okay. I want you to also talk because again, this is so helpful in the book. And again, we're talking about more than a battle, uh, the book by Joe Rigney. Um, let's talk about what you refer to as starving the beast, because you don't want to completely, you're, you're looking at sources and the spiritual cues here and everything, but there are also very practical applications of this. And we can't just say, you know what, I'm just going to pray a little harder about this, or I'm just going to joust at my sin a little bit, and hopefully God will just, you know, remove all temptation from me or whatever. Um, there are some very real things that men and women who struggle with pornography need to do to what you call starving the beast. What was especially helpful for you? Yeah, so um, this is where the role of a mentor, um, which, and by mentor, I just mean it could be a pastor, it could be just an older man in your life. Um, is going to walk with you through this struggle, and, and they're going to try to embody the gospel, um, bring gospel presence to bear, which, which includes both a leaning in with compassion and a stability that says, I'm for you, I'm with you, but then also is going to bring a, a hostility. Like, you, it, this is a place that's safe for sinners, which you are, but it's not safe for sin. We're not going to give your sin a pass. And, and one of the ways that that comes into play is by establishing artificial boundaries. What I mean by that is it's not a sin— to um, browse the internet. But for some guys, they've conditioned and trained themselves that when they browse the internet, they eventually end up at pornography. It's not a sin to look at YouTube on your cell phone, but there's guys who have trained themselves that if they start down that path, they'll eventually end up at something um, pornographic. And so um, one of the first things I do when I'm, when I'm counseling guys, if a guy comes to me and, and says, I'm, I'm in this, I don't know how to get out, I'm stuck. I try to gauge, are you serious about this? Do you really want out? Um, there's a famous Augustine, St. Augustine quote who said, you know, when he prayed as a young man, give me purity, but not yet. <laughs> and, and I think a lot of guys kind of act that way, too. They don't like the feelings of guilt and shame uh, and, and all of that, but they don't actually want to take the sort of drastic measures that Jesus requires of us if we're actually going to make progress. And so the artificial boundaries idea is basically if, 
if um, if we're going to try to do the heart work on these other issues, like we said a moment ago, we, we need to do so in a way that we're not constantly having to deal with new fires popping up. And so that means if your cell phone is the avenue through which you're being ensnared, then maybe you need to get a dumb phone. If, if it's Internet pornography, maybe we need to make a rule that says you're not allowed to be on the Internet by yourself at all. And the idea with these is that they need to be they need to have some some sting to them by sting. I mean, they need to inconvenience us. Um, and but the goal is that they are are absolute boundaries, but they're temporary. We don't want it. The goal is eventually to get to where you can be on the computer by yourself and it's no big deal. But it takes time to, like, break the connection and the habit that you formed of of what this machine is for. And if you've turned it into a pornographic machine, you've got to take some time to sort of detox and break free of that. And so that that uh, starving the beast is basically establishing a boundary that that is meant to starve that craving um, while then the mentor and others are, are doing the heart work on, well, what's feeding into this? What, what are the other sins involved? How do we dig in and get to the soul and the heart work? Um, but that doesn't do any good if you're still walking around with a brothel in your pocket and every night going home and looking at it, pulling it out and, and using using it as a brothel. Yeah. Well, and I like, and I actually want to quote uh, directly from your book because I thought this was so good. This is exactly what you're talking about. You say, in all of these cases, the goal is to take some deliberate action that signals I'm serious about fighting sin. I'm willing to inconvenience myself for the sake of my holiness. And again, I think whether you're talking about porn or whatever, you know, pick your sin. Um, that is a, just a great example of going after accountability, doing what is necessary uh, in that in that realm. Um, just a quick note, because I want you to, you know, because the uh, the sub on your book, the subtitle says uh, experiencing victory, freedom and healing from lust. What about the guy who's listening right now who's like, well, you know, Lisa, I've kind of I'm not. I'm not really doing the the porn thing anymore, you know, or maybe I did, but I'm not, or maybe, you know, maybe they just are really in a, in a good place specifically, but, but they can't really entirely rule out lust. What are any other ways that you would want to address here about guys who maybe aren't suspecting themselves of being guilty of lust, but um, what are, what are some of the signals of that and, and things that guys can watch out for specifically with, um, with struggling with lust in particular? Yeah, so um, I think I think one of the big things there is where you choose to fight is where the battle will be fought, and a lot of guys sort of make looking at pornography um, as sort of like the line in the sand. Mm-hmm. That's that's the place where they're going to start fighting is once it gets to that point. But the reality is is that when we fall into sin, we rarely fall far. There's always sort of a gradual decline. There's always a slope that we run down, and and part of um, growing in holiness, actual holiness is learning to fight the battle at an earlier and earlier place. And so that, that means the double takes, the what do you notice about women when you see them? Because, there's, because I know that um, one of the things that, that pornography does is it, it affects the way that you see everything. Like, like if, if you've been conditioned to see women as sex objects through pornography, then you can't just only think of the women on the screen as the sex objects. You'll begin to view all women through a distorted and corrupted lens. And part of the healing and restoration is when you can begin to treat women like the image bearers of God that they are, when you see them the way God sees them, when you see women as uh, Christian women as sisters in Christ, when, you, when you're able to engage with them as mothers and daughters as opposed to objects. And so even, even those who maybe aren't currently ensnared or, or only have a, a, an episodic um, pornographic situation may still have been trained in their habits of mind and part of of the the true healing and restoration here is reimagining the world seeing the world in a different way seeing yourself you're not a beast you're not um, a predator you're not someone that's not who god says you are so don't live like that don't act like that and then what are women what are men for what's sex for what's marriage for all of these sort of questions there's a, there needs to be a reimagining and a recatechizing of of your life and that's a long process i think one of the things i hope when people read the book um, they come away with this. This isn't a quick fix. Um, the pursuit of holiness is a long obedience in the same direction, and and it may have setbacks, it may have ups, and it may have downs. But God is for you, and He cares more about your holiness than you do. He's more committed to your good than you are. And so, um, don't quit. Don't plow through the failure. Um, pick yourself back up. Confess your sins. Believe that Jesus is for you, and and move on. And do so. I think this is another maybe another big piece here. Um, Hidden sins kill Christians because they're hidden. Mm-hmm. And 
if you try to fight this alone, I think one of the main traps that guys fall into, because this is such a shameful reality, is they try to they struggle alone and therefore they lose alone. Whereas my, my exhortation, one of the game changers for me was wise mentors and good accountability that came together to really, um, I, I'm not alone in this. First, my holiness is a community project. We're in this together and we're going to fight together. And my aim in writing the book was to create communities of holiness that, that can look each other in the eye and say, I'm so committed to your good, I'm not going to let you go. I'm not going to let you get away with this. I'm not going to leave you here. I'm for you because God is for you. Yeah, so true. And uh, yeah, I mean, goodness, you know, we could even go further here, but um, we're out of time. Oh, my goodness. You guys, uh, in the book itself, I also want to draw attention to something we didn't get to touch on here, and that is uh, Joe also addresses how this can affect our relationships. And so for those of you who are like, okay, you know, how far away do I have to be from a a struggle with porn or whatever to start dating again or to continue dating or whatever? And just looking at all that or ladies, you're probably saying like, well, I don't want to ever date any guy that struggled with pornography, but you know, that guy doesn't exist. Um, Again, more insight here. And uh, again, we've been talking with Joe Rigney about uh, his book, More Than a Battle, How to Experience Victory, Freedom and Healing from Lust. And as we close, we want to offer uh, this book to you for a gift of any amount to Boundless. And so we do this a lot with books that we love, uh, where you go to boundless.org. You can even search um, under this particular show number, which is 691, and uh, get a copy of the book there. You'll see the cover there. Just click on it. Uh, A gift to Boundless of any amount, literally whatever you can afford. And we want to send Joe's book to you as our thank you to you. So um, you can get the book there. Joe, thank you so much for writing the book, uh, for being willing to be so honest and and caring in the sharing of your own story, and really being out there uh, in in the college and seminary sphere to to walk this out. We appreciate it. Oh, thanks for having me. Appreciate it. I've been walking on Broadway as the day was coming down. Stopped to talk to an old man who played his heart out loud. He said, girl, can you give me a dollar for the bus? I said, man, for your music, you shouldn't have to ask, no. But can you feel, can you feel, can you feel it? Can you see, can you see, can you see it? There's a change in the air, he's gonna turn it around. Well, there is hope, there is hope while we're living in a world where it's just the beginning. Do you dare to believe he's gonna turn it around? Yeah. Ooh, ooh, yeah. Well, as we finish out the show, we are opening up our inbox. And uh, this week, I get to answer the question, which I like to do from time to time. So here it is. Our listener says, I'm a Christian woman from Nigeria who recently moved to Canada. I just joined a local reform church, but I worry my marriage prospects are slim to almost impossible. While I'm open to interracial and cross-cultural relationships, I don't think many single Christian men in a mostly white local church would even see me that way. I'm not meeting a lot of men from Nigeria, and I don't believe in joining a church just to meet men. I don't want to give up hopes for marriage, but how can I realistically expect to find someone with such narrow chances? If possible, I want to find someone I share doctrinal compatibility with. And so... Okay, this is a great question because I understand there are a lot of factors at play here. And funnily enough, I actually have a coworker um, who moved from Kenya to the United States and had a similar situation. And uh, good news, spoiler alert, uh, she got married. She met a guy, (laughs) great guy. So all was well. But here's some specific hope uh, and help, hopefully, for you. So. Um, this can be a fearful thing because reality is is reality, you know, so I think that makes sense, uh, your concerns around this. And again, you know, you're like, hey, I just moved here. It's all, you know, weird. Um, I don't necessarily know all the the cultural implications of dating here and stuff. So all of that makes sense. Um But, you know, I want you to think, too, like from the perspective of the average Canadian guy in your church, he probably hasn't been spending his whole life, uh, his whole adult life thinking, yeah, um, I'm probably going to marry a Nigerian woman who comes and moves here, you know, so it's it's like that's just the reality, you know, of, of how stuff plays out. But you know what? Who cares? He hasn't thought that through yet. Okay, so you hadn't shown up. 
So now you are in a church, you love Jesus, you hopefully find other guys there who love Jesus. And, um, you know, your, your question is, okay, what do I do with that? How do I move forward? And so the first thing is, uh, definitely don't church hop just to find a mate. Um, you can certainly spread your wings a little bit and find people, you know, through social groups, through Bible studies, through church-wide, uh, city-wide events to meet additional people. And that's great. But for your church, you want to prioritize good preaching, uh, community, service, you know, what it means to plug into a good body of believers there. And so, um, so do that. Now, Okay, say you want to date, uh, you want to tell people that fact. Okay, so definitely put the word out there. You know, you want to date people, you want to meet people, that's totally good. Um, I would also recommend you experience the the Canadian culture and share yours. Uh, that's a great way for people to get to know you. Uh, meet as many people as you can. And that's just good advice for anyone new uh, to an area. And then it's sit back and trust God. That is absolutely what you need to do. And, you know, I... Um, uh, shared, I think, on Boundless maybe a little while back about a friend of mine who went as a missionary to Sweden years and years ago, and she really felt like she was signing over her singleness to God because there were like not a lot of Swedish Christians in the area she was going to be. Well, she feels like she met like literally the one single Swedish pastor <laughs> like in the whole country, and she married him, and that was like 40 years ago or something, um, and they're in ministry together. And so you never know what God will do, and you've got to ultimately um, you know, trust him for the process. And so be okay with it. You, know, you mentioned you're relatively new uh, to the country, and that's okay. You need time to settle in. You need to, uh, time to be okay to make friends. And so do that, but also be honest with God and others about your desire for marriage. Meet as many people as you can. Uh, share who you are and your heritage and where you come from and realize that um, people are going to get to know you. God is in this. Uh, God has plans for you and you can trust him with that. So all right. Well, hopefully that'll give you some encouragement as you move forward and uh, realize that, you know, others have gone before you in this, including my fabulous coworker. And uh, there is encouragement out there for you uh, to trust God through the entire process. And so, okay, folks, well, that is it for this week's show. Uh, we do want to hear from you. So write to us at editor at boundless.org and we'll answer your question in the future. You can also search at boundless.org for any questions uh, we may have answered because uh, we can provide some good wisdom for you there and something that you're walking through. Otherwise, I will see you around next week. I'm Lisa Anderson for The Boundless Show. The Boundless Show is a production of boundless.org. Focus on the family.